I'll turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation 12, as we continue, and you remember our last study as we left this war that was in heaven, and then Satan himself was thrown to earth. And so we pick up now with the results of that having happened. And speaking of Satan being thrown to earth, uh, I'll give you a little heads up because you're the faithful that come out on our midweek service. You're going to get a little uh, little preview uh, on the end of this month, February 28th. Uh, somehow we made the national hit list of the Westboro Baptist Church. And so they are going to be protesting us on the 28th, which I consider a bad badge of honor, of course. Um, <laughs> Any time that they're against you, you know God is for you. Amen? So, now let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to blow their minds because we're going to completely ignore them. We're going to pretend that they're not even out there on the sidewalk. Here's what's going to happen. There's going to be law enforcement. There's going to be media. And there's going to be some people who desperately need Jesus carrying some signs that, quite frankly, are very, very, very offensive. And so there's nothing we can do to keep them from occupying the sidewalk, but we can keep them from occupying our minds. And so we're, we're going to just simply pretend that they're not out there. And if you do happen to say anything to any of them, tell them Jesus loves them. Tell them that God absolutely loves homosexuals. Everybody knows that, right? God absolutely loves sinners. He hates sin, but he loves sinners. And that's all flavors of sinners. Amen? But if he doesn't love sinners, he doesn't love you, because you're all sinners, according to the Bible. So pick your flavor of sin. You're one of them. God loves sinners. He wants us to not sin. He sent Jesus into the world so he might be freed from the bondage of sin and its penalty, death. But God hates no one. God hates sin. And so when they put up those signs with their hate-filled speech on them, Uh, We want to repel that with the one thing that Jesus said and Paul said and Peter said and John said would mark us that we would have love one for another, that that love would be made manifest in this world, that love being broadcast to this world would be the thing that would mark us as his kids. So uh, when you see them, they're only going to come to first service so far as we know. Uh, so they'll be out there eight thirty, nine o'clock, something like that. They've got this whole schedule. You can go on their website. It's kind of humorous, you know, if you want a good laugh uh, to see what they occupy their time with. But uh, bear in mind, this is a church that is that is smaller than the number of people in our cafe right now. Okay, so gives you an idea of gives you an idea of how prominent they are in the in the world of Christendom. So. Uh, they are neither Baptists nor are they part of the true church. They're just simply people who are hate-filled that desperately need Jesus. So show them the love of Jesus when they show up out there. Revelation 12, we'll pick up in verse 13. And now the dragon saw that he'd been cast to earth. And that's not a, not a mystery. He knew it was going to happen. But the dragon, uh, being Satan himself, now fully enraged, heading towards the earth. He's been kicked out. He can no longer be the accuser of the brethren. That time is over, a time that we look forward to, amen? If you've ever suffered with a a bout of condemnation where the enemy has come against you with some thought in your mind where you believe that God does not love you and he's against you, that day will be over. Of course, we'll be as the body of Christ in heaven, but people being persecuted will, will not experience that anymore. The enemy will no longer have that sway 
uh, to be able to accuse the, the people who love the Lord uh, before God. He's been cast to earth. Now notice he persecuted the woman. It's going to be very important that we keep track of who this woman is. Remember, as we said last time, uh, this woman, I believe, is nothing more, nothing less than national Israel. It becomes very clear uh, who gave birth to the male child. That male child is Christ. Uh, there are those of, of the all-millennial bent who believe that it switches here and one woman is national Israel uh, and one woman is not. And I think that's foolish in light of the context and I'll explain why in just a little bit. But the woman, again, Israel, is given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time, a times, and a half a time. Now, if you total those up, that's two and a half times. Amen? That's a very common number. We've heard this number before. Daniel spoke of it. The midpoint of the tribulation, the great tribulation. Jesus will speak of the same thing. And again, we'll highlight these things tonight in our time in the Word. From the presence of the serpent. And so it appears that those who are from the woman or the woman herself has been given two wings, a great eagle. She'll fly into the wilderness to her place. She'll be nourished for Two and a half times from the presence of the serpent. The serpent is the same as the dragon in this case. And so the serpent, the dragon, remember Satan is called both those things. He's called the dragon. His original appearance in the garden was as a serpent. Amen. So you can see that John is, is elucidating uh, much of the rest of what Scripture says for us about this, this heavenly being, this cherub who was a created angel that was fighting with the archangel Michael in heaven. Uh, he's known by many names. He's known by Satan. He's known as the accuser. He's known as the devil. He's known as the serpent. He's known as the dragon. They're all the same basic understanding for us. He is Apollyon. He's the destroyer. He seeks to kill. He is the deceiver. And so the dragon, the serpent, no longer has access to those who are of the Jewish faith who have now committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. Now it's important that you keep these analogies in your heart and in your mind. We've been shown all of these things before. Each of these pictures, these word pictures, have been used in descriptive ways throughout Scripture from the very beginning of God's uh, ability to speak to us through his word. And so the serpent spewed that water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman, and he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. And so those of the earth help the woman. There will come a time when national Israel will get the absolute place in this world that it's due. It is not yet, but it is soon coming. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And so now it comes unglued. Knowing that his time is short. Remember, we left that passage uh, there in verse 12, time is short. A dragon now is absolutely incensed. Satan is, is realizing that his leash is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And again, it bears remembering that Satan himself is a created being. He is not God's equal. 
He does not have God's power. There, there is no match between Jesus Christ and Satan himself. Satan is a defeated foe. Jesus did that on the cross. Satan is not omniscient. He does not know all things. He is also not omnipotent. He does not have all power. He also is not omnipresent. He cannot be everywhere at once. And so remember that Satan is limited in what he can do. So where he is, there he is. Easy way to remember it. Wherever he's at, that's where he's at. Can he transit quickly? Yes. Can he move from place to place very rapidly? Yes. But he is not God's equal. So don't give him more power than he has. Many people try and give Satan almost equivalent power to God. Should God decide at any point in time Satan's reign is up, God speaks a word and Satan is gone like that. Amen? It's important to understand this when you look at this passage. Because very often what people do, they they start to put these things into hyper-spiritual terms. In other words, that Satan is omniscient. And he's everywhere. He's in every crack, in every crevice. You know, he's got to go wherever he wants to go, one place at a time. He can harass one group of people at a time. And then he moves on to another. And so what he does is he sends forth his demon horde. Uh, He enables those demons to do his work. He gives them the idea, the thought, the concept, and they do his bidding. But he himself can be in exactly one place at one time. And he went to make war on the rest of her offspring. And so the the war is on, on earth. What was heaven's gain, Satan has cast out, is absolutely a bad thing for the earth. But it's going to become a really good thing eventually. Who keep the commandments, notice how you determine who those offspring are. This is how you determine if you're an offspring of God. Anybody ever ask you, well, how do you know that you know? There's a couple of very key components. They're repeated throughout Scripture. Those who keep the commandments of God. Does that mean perfectly? Of course not. But our goal is to keep what God says as commands to us. When I read my Bible, it's not supposed to be some type of suggested reading list. You know, sometimes we treat our Bible like, well, this is good ideas, I kind of like some of it. I don't like the rest of it, so I'll just pick and choose what I want. The Bible is God's word to mankind. It's it's the Bible. It's the basic instruction manual before leaving earth. Amen? B-I-B-L-E? You're supposed to do it. You're supposed to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. So it defines who these people are. They are those who keep the commandments of God and have a testimony of Jesus Christ. Very important you link those two things together because Jesus Christ is supposed to be Lord. Amen? Jesus Christ is Lord when you do his commandments. When you allow him to drive your car, he's in the driver's seat, you are the passenger. And so it has always been that way. There's no such thing as a believer who's a believer in name only. You can't just simply name the name of Jesus and say you're a Christian, and there be no effect on your life, and have any assurance that you're a child of God. 
If God's word is not transforming you, is not changing you, if you are not obeying God's word, that is a sure sign you've got something wrong. That's supposed to be a a clue to us as his children. Look, I have no affinity for the things of God. That's supposed to bother me. That's why when Christians say, well, you know, I I, I said the sinner's prayer, so I'm a Christian. But you're still a a crack-dealing thief who murders people. And you like it. There's a serious problem. We have to be doers of the word. doesn't mean you're saved by doing it. It means that the outflow of your life, that's why James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Don't miss that point. Because there's a lot of people walking around this earth with a false sense of security. Jesus calls them sheep and goats. Come on Sunday night. We're going to look at it this Sunday. Wheat and tares. You know what's interesting about wheat and tares? They look exactly the same. You can't tell them apart when they stand in the field. It's not until the fruit comes forth. It's not until the fruit comes forth that you can tell. By their fruit you shall know them, Jesus said. So if you're a child of God, you should have a care for the things of God. You should want to have a prayer life. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. You should want to be as sinless as you can be, not as dunked in sin as you can get. And when I bump into people and say, well, you know, I'm a Christian, but I, I, you know, liberty, brother. You don't have liberty to sin willingly. Not as a child of God, you don't. Can you be forgiven? Sure. Should you repent? Absolutely. But you should never be comfortable in your sin. And so the word says, this is how you determine. This is the way you understand who someone is who's the offspring of Christ. They keep the commandments of God and have a testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Please keep that in your heart. And would you please pass that along to other believers because there's a lot of false teaching that says you can live your life as you well please and that's not taught it says pick up your cross and follow me it says deny yourself and follow me it says be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children it doesn't say well you know now that you're a Christian have fun doesn't say that and if that's what you believe you need to really check what you believe the battle during this time will be Satan and his demonic hosts that have been cast out of heaven and now he's cast to earth and there are going to be repercussions the bad news is about to unfold you see Daniel has told us about this time, and we now are shifting gears into what Scripture Jesus himself in Matthew 24 uh, explained to us as the Great Tribulation. We talk about the Tribulation, that is Daniel's 70th week. That's seven years. That's a week of years. Those seven years are divided in two pieces. Those two pieces are a time where the Antichrist comes, He makes a peace treaty with national Israel. 
He develops a one-world monetary system, a one-world government, and a one-world religion. That one-world religion is the religion of tolerance. So the thing that happened today with the Pope and, you know, Donald Trump, that, that'll be kind of normal during that time. You know, well, you know, you can't, you can't be a Christian because you want to put up a wall. Can I remind you that the Vatican is called a city and it is a walled city? Kind of like the pot calling the kettle black, I think. It's like, no, it's not me, it's you. No, it's you, it's me. It's like, it's like, no, be doers of the word. And the reason I say that is during that time, everybody will get along. The whole world will be, oh, you know, great, you're a Muslim Islamic Buddhist. Me too. Yeah, I go to the first church if I don't do anything for God. Never served in my life group. You see, it'll be like that, that first three and a half years. But once the Antichrist reveals himself, and once he goes into the temple, which we saw will be that coming temple, and he desecrates it, the abomination of desolation spoken of, as Jesus said by the prophet Daniel, once that occurs, Satan is going to reveal exactly who he is on this earth. No more charades. No more games. Right now, Satan is playing games with this world, isn't he? Here's how he does it. You know what? You just, you know, you don't understand the medicinal value of marijuana. Do you know the national statistics for those who purchase medical marijuana are these? The average age is 18 to 27. 86% male. 86% male. It's a bunch of stoner dudes. It's not people with back problems. It's people who want to get high as a kite. But, you know, it's organic. It's free-range pot. It's grown without any pesticides. So Satan disguises it. Look, when you get run into by a guy who's stoned out of his mind, you're not going to care whether it was organic dope or not, okay? The same thing happens, Peyton Manning, Super Bowl. What does he say after he wins the Super Bowl? Well, I'm going to go, have me a few Budweiser's. You know why? Because he owns a Budweiser distribution company. But he's supposed to be the good guy. Again, I'm not trying to bag on anybody. I'm just saying the enemy's crafty in his wiles. I read an article. You can do a little search yourself. There are churches that plan church trips to Vegas. I'm trying to figure out, okay, how does that go in the bulletin? Does the pastor get a cut of what you lose? He gives up his house? I don't know. You see, the enemy's doing these things. The enemy's convincing people, you know, well, it's just all okay. It's just fine. You do whatever you want to do. I mean, live, man. That's from the pit of hell. You have one life to live. And it is what you do for Christ that counts. The rest of this stuff, it ain't going to matter when you're in the glories of heaven. And so the enemy's going to unveil himself no more you know that song no more mr nice guy 
That's going to be the theme song to the world. He's going to be completely unveiled. Jeremiah 30, turn there if you would to verse 1. Jeremiah 30, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you, for behold, the days are coming. Circle it, underline it, mark it. Says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah. Now it's important that you realize what that's saying. At this time, there was no Israel. They had been taken captive by the Assyrians. They did not exist. They would have to be brought back miraculously. And Judah says the Lord. And I would cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers and they shall possess us. So this time that is moving forward is a time that has actually happened uh, in some in this room's lifetime. They would come back from that captivity and they would once again be a nation. They would go back into the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The land that you know is Israel. Now, it's not the full land. The borders of that land went all the way to the borders of the river Euphrates. It included all of modern-day Syria, all of Lebanon. It included much of what we would call the Sinai Peninsula and quite a bit of Egypt as well. But the key to it is the city Jerusalem. And now these are the words of the Lord that he spoke concerning Israel and Judah. Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, fear not. It's a voice of fear and not of peace. And ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. Now there's one thing I can tell you on this earth, no matter what you know, people are saying, men cannot bear children. It is a medical impossibility. And so no matter how you doctor it up, no matter what you do, no matter if you transplant whatever to wherever, it ain't happening. Okay? So men do not know what it's like to go through labor pains. And that's the picture here. The intense, absolutely overwhelming pain of labor. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? This is a different kind of pain. This is a guttural fear that men to this day do not understand. We don't know what it's like. We can't comprehend it. But in this case, at a time when Israel is back in the land, there will come a time when men will literally be in such fear that they will grab their loins as if they were in pain and shake with fear, like a woman in labor, and all of their faces turned pale. Most men would rather die than, than look like this, especially in front of other men. You know, we'll endure the most insane, absurd things for the sake of not ever being in this position. Alas, for that day is great, 
so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. Jacob, the father of the nation Israel, amen? Time of Jacob's trouble, all 12 tribes. But he shall be saved out of it. Think on that as it relates to the time that's in view here in Revelation 12. It's a time of never before and never again. The great tribulation, Jesus described it. And I want you to see something here. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, it begins there. For then there will be a great tribulation. He goes to say it. He says it's going to be not just the tribulation, but the great tribulation. Notice it says in Jeremiah that there is none like it. Satan and Michael have battled. Satan has been kicked out of heaven. He now has exactly three and a half years left to torment the entire earth before his number gets pulled by God. And he knows it. He now turns up the heat. You see, we look at world wars. We look at the things that we've been through. We even look at the global war on terror. We, we look at what happened during the Holocaust as horrific, as unbelievably horrific as that was. It will pale in comparison. If you cumulatively took all of the battles and wars and crime of all time, assembled it together in, in one single generation of people, it will not be equivalent to what the Bible describes as the Great Tribulation. This is literally hell unleashed on earth. Satan's rage complete. His evil exposed for everything it is. You, you think it's nuts now. You think that, that there are crazy things happening all over our planet. Child's play relative to what's going to happen. Never before, never again. There will be a great tribulation. Notice that Jesus said it the same way. Such has not been since the beginning of the world. Is that descriptive enough for you? In other words, it's a one-time event until this time. So whenever it happens, nothing like it will have ever occurred. Ever. It will be so much worse than anything that's ever occurred that Jesus himself says this great tribulation, these last three and a half years, will be like nothing mankind has ever seen. No, nor shall ever be. In other words, it's not only never happened before, it will never happen again either. Praise God for that. Because there's a purpose to God's wrath. When God pours out his wrath on this earth, the earth will be absolutely just in the wrath that's being poured out on it. It won't be unfair. There won't be people wandering around going, wow, why is this happening to me? They'll know. God has always been just. He has always, he can be nothing but just and fair. He can't be unfair. He's not capricious like Allah is. Allah is capricious. He owes nothing to no one. That's what the Quran plainly teaches. He is beholding to no one. And so, no matter what happens, whether good or bad, it is said to be as Allah wills. Whatever that is. Not so as a child of God. 
He's promised to give his children the inheritance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Period. 100% to everyone who believes. Whether you're a great Christian or you're going to get in as if by fire, just as Scripture says. Whether you, as in the parable of the landowner, come in the very first hour and work the whole day. Or whether you come in the twelfth hour and you've been saved for 18 nanoseconds when God calls you home, you still get heaven. Amen? You ought to be pretty excited about that. Amen? Because there's some of us in here tonight. You're going to get in by fire. You've been playing with fire. You're going to get in by fire because you really do love the Lord. But you've been messing around a little bit. And God's grace is going to cover your sin. And you're going to get in. You have no such guarantee as a Muslim. You have no such guarantee. So what does Jesus say? And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would ever be saved. But for the elect's sake, the elect always refers to those who are saved. In this case, it refers to those who are saved and Jewish. Because that is the focus of the tribulation. That those days would be shortened. Saved Israel. The very thing that Romans 11, read that chapter when you get home. It's what it says. Paul writing about his own people, crying out for what would happen to them in the very last days, says, all Israel will be saved. Speaking just like we would say here in this country that this is a predominantly Christian nation. It's not saying every Jewish person, but it says by and large, whereas right now they are known largely as an irreligious nation. Most Jews are non-practicing. Matter of fact, they don't really even know what they would be practicing because there's no temple, there's no place for the sacrifices. The feasts are kept lightly by many. The Orthodox try and do as well as they can, but there is no full plan of God in operation for the Jewish people right now. It can't be done. There's no temple. So the temple is kept in your heart. That's not what God commanded. Remember, God gave the Jewish people the law. They didn't want grace. They rejected Messiah. And so in rejecting that, they got to keep what they already had, which was the law. You can't keep the law. If you're alive today and you're a Jewish person, you can't keep the full law. It's impossible. There is no day of atonement that can be offered in the temple. No one can go in before the Ark of the Covenant to the Holy of Holies and stand before God and intercede for the nation of Israel because it isn't there. So it's kept in their heart. You see, the only way for your heart to be affected is for you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says, for the sake of the elect, these days will be shortened. Remember, the temple's built. The two witnesses have witnessed. Now they've lost their life. They died. They laid in the streets for three days. They've popped back up. They've now been taken off to heaven. And now the days that will ensue after that are shortened. Because people are going to be going, oh, no. You see the 70th week of Daniel described there in Daniel 9, verses 24 to 27, unfold for us uh, in clear view, really through the words of Jeremiah, through the words of Jesus, through the words of Paul the Apostle, and now through the words of John, the whole plan being wrapped together from old 
all the way till today. We have these things reviewed for us through Scripture. Jeremiah 30 and verse 7, it says, Alas, for that day is great, so that there's none like it. There's none like it. Notice what we've already read. And it goes on to say, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from your neck. In other words, the Antichrist will put his yoke on national Israel. They, they will once again turn and they'll be looking for Messiah. And that yoke will be broken. And notice that it says, Foreigners shall no more enslave them. They shall serve the Lord their God. And David their king, whom I shall, I shall raise up for them. What's the lineage of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ will sit on the throne of David. That's why he's called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Verse 22 of Jeremiah 30 says, And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. That is hardly the case today. All the Hebrew people do know the Lord. They have a clear understanding that there's one God. He is to many of them Yahweh, Lord of hosts. But behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes out with fury, continuing in that whirlwind. It will fall violently on the head of the wicked. You see, one day God's going to deal with this whole thing. But for the elect's sake, these days will be shortened. That seven-year period of time will seem like an eternity to those on earth. There's the good news. You don't need to worry about it. You're not going to be here if you're in Jesus. Amen? Amen. I'm glad I'm not going to be here, so... You know, look, do I deserve to be here? People always ask that question. Well, you know, I think the church should have to go through the tribulation. I will usually say, you know what, you're, you're right. We should. We deserve it. That's why they call it grace. Amen? That's why God's mercy endures forever. Amen? He not only gives us what we do not deserve, but he does not give us what we do deserve. Those two things as twin bookends, grace and mercy. Hallelujah? Amen? Don't forget that. Some people are like, well, I want God to punish me. I do not want God to punish me. <laughs> Give me mercy. Thank you for grace. Praise God that I get that by faith and not by works. Amen? Do you see the plan of God, how incredibly wonderful it is? The Jewish people haven't gotten there yet. The blinders in part have come upon them until the times of the Gentiles are finished. Now imagine that all the Christians have been snatched away and your Bible's sitting in your house. And right now there, there may be, maybe there's a billion and a half Christians. That's what the, you know, the National Council of Churches claims there are in the world. Maybe there's a billion and a half Christians on this earth. Out of some seven billion people. Now imagine that mysteriously we all vanish. And people like me have been preaching that the rapture of the church will happen. And all of a sudden, hey, where'd they go? Well, that crazy guy down there at Calvary Chapel South Bay said the church got raptured. They're going to come down here and find there's nobody home. Going to be plenty of Bibles available. And some of all of you have been marking them up. They're going to be flipping through. Hey, did you see this, Bob? Oh, no. The Bible's so very specific on what's going to happen. You see, Israel is in the crosshairs even today. 
Verse 13, and now the dragon saw that he'd been cast to earth and he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. Satan, Satan can no longer persecute the male child himself. We're in heaven. He can't go there anymore. So no more persecution of those who are of the male child. That's those who are of Jesus. But there will be people on earth and some of them even saved, but they're going to be martyred in a moment. It's going to be the weirdest thing. People are over there praying, oh, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. I confess you a Savior. And then somebody kills them, they're gone. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen? So the enemy's going to run around trying to kill off the the children of the male, kill off Jesus' offspring, so to speak. And every time he kills one of them, they're into glory. You talk about feeling bummed about your calling. Satan's going to be, I can't even, I get no satisfaction out of even killing him. So he's going to turn his attention where it can still accomplish something. Israel. You see, because they're all, some of them have got it. There's 144,000 Jewish evangelists, probably millions more. But there's still some doubters. And they're on the earth, and they're going to be the focus of the enemy's wrath. So what's the Lord going to do? God still has a plan to save them. And I would encourage you, read Zechariah chapter 12. They will look upon him whom they pierced and mourn. The Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling to the entire world. You see, right now it's kind of a geopolitical mess. But when God starts to deal with this world for what it's done to national Israel, what it's done to the Jewish people, what they've done to his land. Remember, Joel says it's God's land. It doesn't belong to the United Nations. It's not up to our Secretary of State to tell Prime Minister Netanyahu what he should do with the land that God gave that's his land to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and to national Israel. It's their land. They got it from God. It still belongs to him. They're supposed to inhabit that land in obedience. Hasn't happened. But God still loves them and has a plan for them. And he is going to save them. One of the great promises of the last days. And so he will sweep them up on eagles' wings. And I believe I can cause this to be easily understood. Verse 14 But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. And some would say, well, this has got to be aircraft and all those kind of things. No, it doesn't have to be. No more than it had to be, you know, that God swept up the children of Israel in olden times and took them across the Red Sea. He could have done exactly what he said he was going to do. That she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time. Notice this, a time and a half. From the presence of the serpent. The dragon's going to rise up. It's going to persecute national Israel. And, and as Jesus would remind us in Matthew 24 again, verses 9 to 22, uh, it begins to this picture of the Antichrist coming against the, the children of Israel. And it says there in verse 16 of Matthew 24, And then let all those who were in Judea flee into the mountains. When, when you're talking about Judea, which is the area directly around Jerusalem for the most part, it is the mountains. The next set of mountains is actually in Jordan, about 140 miles or so to the south 
and to the east. And there are the mountains that form the Wadi Musa, which is the location of the rock city of Petra. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. This is Jesus speaking about those days. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now remind yourself that if the tribulation is specifically to bring salvation to the Jewish people, the Jewish people are not allowed to travel more than a quarter of a mile on the Sabbath. They can carry no burden. And in fact, what many Jews do, especially in Jerusalem and the larger cities of Israel, is they actually check into hotels. And then they could have somebody like me or maybe a, a Palestinian Arab who is considered to them to be a goy, a goyim. That goyim can then do work for them because they're not Hebrew. And so they can cook meals for them, but they themselves can do no work. So this is very clearly speaking of the Jewish people. Pray that it's not on a Sabbath. Because you're not going to escape by going a quarter of a mile. It's not going to happen. Pregnant ladies don't run too fast, okay, when they're about to give birth. That's just the way it works. If you've ever been there at the birth of a child, not going very far very fast. And so Jesus continues that thought that we've already seen. Everything shuts down on the Sabbath in Jerusalem. Could this possibly be, you know, jet aircraft swooping them up? It could be, I suppose. But Scripture is very clear, and God has done these things before. Turn to Exodus 19. Exodus 19, verse 4. For you have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and you know this story. The Egyptians were chasing the Jewish people after 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Ten trips to Pharaoh, Moses speaking to Pharaoh, Moses speaking for the children of Israel, saying, Let my people go. And Pharaoh saying, I will not let your people go, period. And finally, the last plague, the death of the firstborn. The angel of death goes across the encampment of the Egyptians and the Jewish people. And so in order to spare themselves from it, what goes on the doorpost, both horizontally and vertically, but blood? Amen? Same sign that we see as a cross. The blood was on the doorpost and the window lentils of the home. And when the angel of death passed over, if they saw the blood, the blood was sufficient to save. The blood is still sufficient to save, family. The blood of the cross can erase your sin. But what happens? Notice what is said next in Exodus. And how I bore you, notice, whoops, on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, it's speaking of how God cares for his kids. He bore up the children of Israel before on eagles' wings. And saved them from the Egyptians. And he will save them again. God's supernatural and loving care. It's a rather interesting analogy because when a young eagle is learning to fly, the mother eagle actually stirs up the nest, kind of makes it tough for the little eaglet to stay in the the nest. 
And as they move out of the safety of the nest, the mother eagle will actually swoop underneath baby eagles. And as they kind of, you know, fly out of control, they'll get underneath them and press them back up in the air again and let them glide for a bit. And they kind of knock them around, but they bring them to safety. They won't let them hit the ground, you know, in a, in a full stoop heading at 110 miles an hour into the nearest rock. In much the same way, God has carried you. God has carried me. God has carried me. God has taken me in the darkest moments of my life and he has carried me. I believe he's come underneath me and saved me. And so he will do for national Israel. He will come underneath them, alongside of them, overshadow them. And where this touches our modern world, you know, we're seeing all kinds of things going on with China right now. China has, has inhabited several islands or building an island in the South China Sea right now, a military base armed with missiles. You've seen all the saber rattling in North Korea, all these things going on. The largest portion of all this problem thinking is that these are largely nuclear armed countries. It's an interesting thing that happens when a nuclear weapon is detonated in our atmosphere, it creates what's known as an electromagnetic pulse wave, an EMP. That EMP is capable of destroying our satellite communications, our ground-based communications, those things that uh, exist on microtransmitters. And so imagine during this time that there actually has been some kind of nuclear war and all kinds of things. There, you're going to be back to Stone Age warfare by this time. There, there may, might not be an operating plane anywhere in the world, for all we know. It's our reality today, but if we were to go nuts and start pressing the buttons on a Trident nuclear sub, all hell will break loose on the earth, and all of that cumulative nuclear activity could very easily disable every single bit of guidance that we have in the entire world. And so don't think that God's being silly here. Will he miraculously take care of them? Yes, he will. But there'll be a need to do that. And the nearest set of mountains is a scant 140 miles away from Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9, where the Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's portion is his people. The Lord's idea of a full cup is his own kids. Jacob is the place of his inheritance. And again, Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes. He's known often as Israel, which would have been the sum and the total of the Jewish people at the time. And he instructed him, as an eagle stirs up the nest, it says there in Deuteronomy 32, verses 9 to 12, and hovers over its young, spreading out its wing, he takes them up and he carries them on its wings. So the Lord alone led him. There was no foreign God with him. So we've seen this before. This is not an unusual thing. God's done it for Israel before. He will do it again, I believe, for his people. They'll be borne up on eagles' wings. People often say, well, where are they going? I, I think the likely place is, you know, there's all kinds of debate. But I think there's some scriptural evidence that we can look at tonight. Daniel chapter 11, verse 41. I believe this is 
the rock city of Petra. And again, it's very close to Jerusalem. You could walk there in probably a week and a half to two weeks if you had to. It's a hostile environment, to be sure. It's the Negev Desert. Uh, but there is water. The Jordan River flows through the middle of it. The Arnon River flows through it as well. The Jabok River flows through it as well. And so there is water along the way. And in Daniel eleven forty one, speaking of the Antichrist, he, the Antichrist, shall also enter the glorious land. The glorious land at this time is national Israel. Many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. His own God's people will escape from the hand of the Antichrist, Daniel said. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. Where is that? That is the boundaries of modern-day Jordan. It's the area of Transjordan. So those that will escape, apparently, will be in the region of modern-day Jordan. Isaiah 16, verses 1 to 4, send a lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah. Selah is a Hebrew word that is the same as Petra. To the wilderness, to the mount of the daughter of Zion, for it shall be as a wandering bird thrown out of the nest, so the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Again, exactly the same region spoken of by Isaiah the prophet regarding this time. Take counsel, execute judgment. Make your shadow like the night in the middle of day. In other words, there actually is going to be a supernatural event to where people won't even throw a shadow in the middle of the day. Will it be God overshadowing them with a cloud so that nobody sees them? I don't know. But I know my God is still a miracle-working God. I don't have a problem leaving God as a miracle-working God. The best explanation for our universe is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's still the most logical, the most scientifically viable So if God can do that, I'm sure he can protect a few million Jewish people. There's only 8.7 million Jews in Israel right now today. So if two-thirds of them have died under the reign of the Antichrist, we're, we're talking about a couple million people. Where would they go? Let my outcast dwell with you, O Moab. Guess where Moab is? It's the land of Edom. Edom means red in Hebrew. If you've ever looked at the, the rock city of Petra, uh, it is absolutely uh, some of the most red rock. You think the red rocks in Arizona are red. This is redder rock. And be a shelter to them from the face of the spoiler. Who's the spoiler? The enemy, Satan. So Isaiah, Daniel, Zechariah, Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, and John all point the same direction. For the extortioner is at an end, the devastation ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land. So Edom, Moab, Ammon, these are the boundaries of modern-day Jordan. And so I believe it is, in fact, the area that is the rock city of Petra. It's an interesting place. Uh, It's about 20 square miles or so. If you know anything about the United States, downtown Manhattan itself, the island, uh, is about 33 square miles. So it's smaller than that. But there is an enclosed area inside of a ring of mountains in the city of Petra. There are literally thousands of those rock-hewn homes that were carved out largely by the Nabataeans, uh, desert dwellers, nomadic people. Uh, you've probably, if you've seen uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, uh, you, you've seen all kinds of pictures of Petra. You saw that building. It's called the Treasury. 
The whole city is red rock. And so when they say in the area of the fords of Arnon, when you see near the Jabbok River, when you see the city that is red, uh, it has one of the world's first hydraulic water systems that goes all throughout that region. So when it rains, very hard to see. But in the center of that picture, what looks like a waterfall, that waterfall is over 60 feet tall. In the center of it, you can actually see a little dark spot. In that dark spot, you can see a light spot. That is a human being. There's a man standing in the middle of that. There's a water system that flows through channels, distributes rainwater throughout the entire area of the city of Petra. Still works to this day, having been carved out some two and a half thousand years ago. And so could it be that God would send his people there? Yeah, and there's water. There's a few things you need for humanity. You need water, you need food, and you need shelter. You got all of them. And you got a very difficult way to get in. The only way into that entire region, other than going over the Rock Mountains, which are 2,800 feet high, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking starting from zero... Or worse than that, the Dead Sea, which is 1,300 feet below sea level, and you rise to 2,800 feet, that is a long way up. Very similar view to what we have in our local mountains. Other than Mount Baldy and Changorgonio, those basically the rest of the mountains are all six, seven thousand, eight feet, 8,000 feet above 1,500, so it's about the same peak to base elevation rise. It's up. It's very well protected. And there's exactly one way in called the Seek. At its maximum, it's 26 feet wide. At its narrowest, it's 13 feet wide. Most of the walls are 30 to 60 feet high. And so now imagine that all the world's communication systems aren't exactly functioning all that well. And God himself is as he was to the Jewish people as they wandered in the wilderness. What did he do for them? He was their shield by day and their fire by night. And when he moved, they moved. I don't think it's any stretch to see that God might do that again. And so the enemy will send in the flood, the flood of humankind. Uh, We see this in Psalm 124 and Exodus 15. And it just simply says that as you see these things begin to happen, that that this flood of humanity will come upon them. And that's really what's going to happen during those last days. That flood, verses 15, and so the serpent spewed forth a flood of water out of its mouth. And that the woman would be run down, in essence, by almost like a flash flood. But there's an interesting thing that we can get from Isaiah chapter 59, if you want to go there very quickly, verse 19. And so they, Isaiah 59, 19, and so they who fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun, when the enemy comes like a flood... God has throughout Scripture used an analogy of a flood to be a flood of humanity. We actually use that same term, the flood of humanity or the flood of humankind or a flood of people. When the gates open, people flood in. We still use the same exact word today to describe, I believe, what Scripture is saying here. That the rest of the inhabitants of the earth enraged, Satan now is inspiring them to come after the Jewish people and they flood in to try and destroy them. But God supernaturally protects them. And the earth, so to speak, swallows them up. And so at this time, that rage is going to continue. 
Zechariah gives us some insight as to what's going to happen during that time. It's interesting to me that as the, as the world comes unhinged, comes unglued, Zechariah 9, verse 8, it says this, And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. Now you realize this isn't exactly going to be a huge amount of people. That's two-thirds of the remaining half. Remember, all, half of the inhabitants of the world have already been killed. And so it's two-thirds of the half that's left. We're starting to get down to a handful of people in, in relative terms. But one-third shall be left in it. And I will bring the one-third through the fire and refine them as silver. And the rest shall be tested as gold. And they will call upon my name and I will answer them. And I will say, this is my people. And each one will say, notice what they say. What was the testimony? The Lord is my God. That's why Paul said, all Israel will be saved. And so as you think on these things, pray for Israel. There's a move in Israel right now of the Jewish people. Crazy how many rabbis are even speaking up. They're saying things like, I believe it's the time of the Messiah. The, the prophecies of Jeremiah are unfolding. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing how much talk there is coming from Israel right now about the times of Messiah being upon us. The same thing is happening in dreams and visions in the Arab peoples of the region. Even those who are of the Muslim faith are beginning to say, well, I don't think this is the answer. And in dreams and visions, Jesus is being revealed to them. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for boldness in these last days. Pray to be able to share the truth with people that they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. If you're here and you're in Jesus, praise the Lord. It's all good. Amen? It's good. We get busy about our Father's business. Let's, let's tell people about Jesus. Go about our lives, yes. But it's what we do for Christ that counts. And so be busy to that end. Be joyful in it. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? This isn't meant to bring anybody down. It's, it's, it's kind of like reading you know, foreign news to us. Because we're, we're children of the king, right? You know, we read about things in other worlds, in other places of the world. It affects us differently than if it was happening in our backyard, right? It's the same way when you read this. This is not for you to be concerned with in that sense. Because you're not going to go through it as a child of God. You're going to be home in heaven. But you should be concerned like we are concerned about people who are struggling and suffering because they're, they're believers and they live in, in Iran. Or they're believers and they live in Turkey. Or they're believers and they live in Mali. Or they're believers and they're in South Sudan. You see, we need to be concerned about the people who are here and what they're going through because we're part of them and they're part of us. And we want everybody to miss this event. Amen? Pray to that end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. And we pray that God, you would just move in this place. And Father, pray if there's anyone here tonight that's never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved. 
Lord, that simple first step is all it takes, and you'll take over. You'll impart the Holy Spirit to them. Uh, You will indwell them with a simple ask, and God, then things will begin to change. Their lives will be transformed. Their minds will be renewed. And so, Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us as your kids, that we will be saved. Lord, for you have not, as your word declares plainly to us, you have not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. And because of that, God, we know that one day we're going to step off of this earth and into eternity, uh, into the presence of the Lord, wherein there is fullness of joy and glory. And so, God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And God's people all said, Amen. Amen.